0: It is no secret that much of my heart has been shaped by the stories of God moving all throughout history. Moments where in his kindness, God pours out his spirit in unexpected and beautiful ways. And for years, people have been asking the question, how does God choose where he shows up? And depending on your tradition, everybody has their theories each trying to map on to uh, these certain people groups and moments what they did to experience a move of God so profoundly. And it seems that with all of these theories, God is completely unconcerned with them because he has moved in every tradition, every tribe, and every theological camp. So what is the thread that ties the Great Awakening to Azusa Street? What is the thread that ties the Moravians to the Jesus Movement? What is the thread that ties the Toronto Blessing with the Hebrides Revival? What is the thread that ties the Welsh Revival to the Second Great Awakening? It's one word, hunger. They wanted God more than anything. And because they did, God showed up. Mark Sayers says this, I believe that God chooses when and where he will move. I also believe that God is looking for a people amongst whom he can dwell. His kingdom comes to those who hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Therefore, throughout history, we observe a pattern. When we cry out to him, When we repent of our ways, that we've ignored him and pursued our human-driven plans of renewal in our own strength. When we take a posture of contending for his kingdom to come with power, we see that he moves. Hunger moves the heart of God. God is looking for those who are crying out for him to come and to move in their midst. And so here is the challenge before us as a church today. How do we become a community marked by hunger? When people talk about revival, they always talk about the moment of breakthrough, right? The moment the wave kind of crashes at the shore and people come to faith and a a, a movement of culture is shifted. They experience breakthrough. And breakthrough is just the public part of the outpouring of God's Spirit. There is always something behind the scenes, much earlier, that is often hidden and quiet. And it, and it begins with a small remnant of people. Again, Sayers says this, trace a revival back to its origins, and you will inevitably find a person or handful of people moved by God People who took on the renewal process that first changed them before it changed others. To say this another way, there is always a moment of breakthrough before the moment of breakthrough. There is always a moment before the moment. To illustrate this point, I want to highlight three moments that often don't get talked about when we talked about these big moments where God moved. The first is with Duncan Campbell and the Hebrides. This revival is one of my all-time favorites in the history of revivals. Um, It begins with a small group of islands off the coast of Scotland. If you Google Maps this thing, you have to do the like super zoom in to find where the Hebrides are. They are kind of a forgotten place off of the coast. Now, before Duncan Campbell, kind of the the man in whom this, this revival was centered around, came and preached to 600 people who showed up outside of the church's door wanting just to get right with God. Before a group showed up to a police station distressed saying, do something, we must get right with the living God. Before a group of young people who were in the middle of a dance, which in this time was like the place to be, all left the dance and moved their way to the church saying, we must get right with God. Before Donald, known as the praying teenager, stood up in a prayer meeting and read Psalm 24, and people were on their faces before God saying, we must get right with you. Two 80-year-old women named Peggy and Christine Smith we're praying for a revival in the middle of the night in a small cottage. As you do the research, you find out that it is these two women who are interceding for decades that God would move in the place they love. That is where the revival began. And there's back one. There it is. That's them. That was Zinzendorf. This is Duncan Campbell. And those are the two ladies who prayed. And just side note, I love that she's facing the wrong direction for the photo. It's like they didn't, they didn't have many opportunities with photos, and she just said, I'm going this way. But nonetheless, nonetheless, these are the women who sparked a move of God in their community. Next is Zinzendorf and the Moravians. Now... There ain't no sermon without talking about the Moravians. You guys are going to know them whether you like it or not. But before there was 100 years of nonstop prayer, 24-7, before there were missionaries sent from this community all around the world, before this community in- inspired the uh, abolitionment movement and the modern missions movement and some of the greatest revivalists of their day, and before even the meeting on August 13th where the Spirit was poured out on a community and this community was united in prayer, On July 16th, Zinzendorf records that he was praying in his room alone. And as he was in the place of prayer, in his words, he poured out his soul and he was accompanied by a flood of tears. Far before any major breakthrough, God broke through in a room with a man. Dwight Linman Moody, also known as D.L. Moody, is known as the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. Look at that beard. Jealousy, right? Before he ever preached to a room packed with thousands, before he opened Northfield Seminary for Young Women and the Chicago Evangelization Society, before leading a great effort of unity among the churches across denominations, D.L. Moody was a struggling preacher at the YMCA. He was rather forgettable. One day after his sermon at the YMCA, two women, only identified as Mrs. Cook and Mrs. Snow, approached him and told them that they were praying for him. Kind of curious as to why they said that. He said, why aren't you praying for lost people? Why are you praying for me? And they're like, because you need an outpouring of the Spirit. And this kind of bothered and stirred in his heart. But he didn't think about it until much later. As he's preparing for a trip to England where he's going to go visit some other um, ministry partners, ministry friends out there, he was walking down the streets of New York when he had an empowerful encounter with God. As he's walking down the street, he's overcome with such joy, inexplainable, inexplicable, Can't figure out where it's coming from that he actually sneaks away to a nearby friend's house and says, can I borrow your room for a moment? And there he is overwhelmed with such joy overflowing that he asks God to stop because if he did it anymore, he might die from joy that he was experiencing. A few days later, he ends up in London and as he comes, he preaches before a congregation And he had been scheduled to preach in the morning and in the evening. In the morning, he comes and preaches, and if he could be honest, it did not go well. People were falling asleep. People were bored and could not wait for the sermon to be over. It went so bad, he contemplated just canceling the night gig, like that did not go well, but decided to keep his appointment instead. But that night, when he showed up to preach, something changed. What he described as the very atmosphere was charged with the Spirit of God. And there that night, hundreds would come to know Jesus, and over the coming weeks, hundreds more would continue to show up at the church to hear D.L. Moody preach. Something changed. Now, here's the thing. It was the same exact message. He didn't come back and add some tweaks and better illustrations. He just fired it off again, and sometimes something changed. And so curious what had happened, he went on kind of like detective mode to figure out something must have shifted somewhere, right? Where did it go? And it led him to a little hospital where a woman by the name of Marianne Adler was staying. As he interviewed here, he began to figure out that that was her church that he had preached at that morning and that evening. And that she had been so asking and pleading with the Lord for an encounter that during her lunchtime, she abstained from food, ill and sick, but do not advise, but did this nonetheless, to take that time to pray for D.L. Moody and to pray for his preaching. And so he discovered that the power for his sermon came from a woman laying up in a hospital praying that God would move. And D.L. Moody points to this very moment that changed his preaching forever. The greatest evangelist of the 19th century was empowered by a woman praying from her hospital bed. There are always moments before the moment. Today, we are continuing in our fall vision series entitled In Your Midst. Now, my heart behind the series is essentially this, to notice and celebrate the areas where God is moving and to respond as a community to the areas that God is inviting us into. And last week we opened our series with the rather simple but profound idea that the kingdom is like a mustard seed. it always begins small, but it carries within it a future that is exponential in comparison to how it begins. And today, if I may, I wanna put my finger on where I think we are as a church and invite us into where I think Jesus is leading us into. I believe that God is doing something remarkable in the life of our church right now. Now, this is not a preaching point, okay? This is not like just to get you guys stoked up or create hype, this is, I say this with the most sincerity, sincerity and humility that I can, God is doing something wonderful. And it's not lost on me that God is doing something great in our community. We are seeing people who didn't know Jesus come to know Jesus. We're seeing those who are on the verge of giving up their faith come to a vibrant, flourishing relationship with Him. We are seeing people who were a few years ago plagued with apathy, today burn bright with passion and joy. It is truly remarkable what God is doing in our midst. Now, If God did nothing else, I would have enough moments to meditate on, to think about, and to stand in awe of for the rest of my life. But I truly believe it's only just the beginning. If I were to name where we are as a community right now, I would say we're in the moment before the moment. We are in the the leading up moments before the breakthrough. And just as hunger is what ties together the breakthrough of all the things that we've seen before in the past, there's the common thread that ties these early moments of outpouring. There is also a, a moment that ties together the moments before the moments. And it's this, the secret place. Every great move of God is always, always firstborn in the secret place. All of these stories begin in the secret place of prayer, where people are encountering Jesus and living from that place of encounter to see their communities changed. And this is the invitation for us this morning, to get to the secret place. And for us to get to the secret place, we must first understand we live in a world of noise. Every single one of us is bombarded with noise. The noise of the 24-7 news cycle, social media, smartphones, podcasts, streaming services, you name it. When was the last time you were just in silence? Chances are it may have been a while. Rarely, if ever, are we not surrounded by noise. And it is often this never-ending noise that keeps us from the secret place. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Awesome book, encourage you to read it if you ever want to. But it's a fictional story about the reality of the forces of evil. And it's written from the perspective of a demon writing to another demon. It's a fictional work, but it points to a real, uh, real reality. And in that, C.S. Lewis highlights that noise is the very vehicle of attack against humanity. Screwtape, the one demon writing to the other, says this. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. The melodies and silences of heavens will be shouted down in the end. It is the enemy's means and purposes to surround your life with noise. And many of us miss the secret place because, frankly, our lives are just too noisy to notice it calling out to us. Many of us live our lives in place of danger because we do not slow down. First, many of us live underneath the tyranny of life. Many of us are being tossed around by life. One commitment to another, one distraction to the next, and if you were honest, I mean really honest, you would say this, you are not in control of your schedule, your schedule's in control of you. Like, yeah, you may have put it in, but these very things demand your life, and it is from commitment to distraction to the next thing to the next appointment to this to that, whatever, your life is full. Now... You might find yourself today so distracted from life, from living, from doing, from going to the next thing. And here's the tricky part. All of the things on your calendar might be good things. All of them might be uh, productive and successful and efficient and lead to more productivity. But they are pulling you away from an ultimate thing. Yet that those, these things may be good, they are pulling you away from the things that you say matter most. Many of you are living underneath the tyranny of the urgent and that takes priority over the most important. And slowly, but surely, you feel your life being tossed back and forth by the currents of your life. To quote Ronald Rollheiser, he says this, we are... Distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Others of you find yourself striving. You are always trying really hard. And it's like you are never gaining any headway. I mean, you're doing all the right things, all of the things you're supposed to be doing. But if you're honest, you feel powerless. And maybe you've come in this morning tired. Tired of trying, tired of striving, and all that your heart longs for is rest. The kind of rest that permeates down deep into your soul. And you long for a source outside of yourself. Others of you find yourselves just outright confused. Maybe not in the day-to-day, but especially with the big questions of life, like who am I? What's important to me? What am I called to do? And you constantly feel yourself pulled in a million directions, unsure of what path you are to take. And there, plagued with so much pressure, so much uncertainty, you're stuck. And surrounded by a world of noise, you go searching for substance. And so you listen to podcasts. You come to church. You talk to friends. You put on your favorite worship album. And hear me in this. Those things are amazing. Do those things. But those are no substitute for the secret place. Those cannot be your source of substance. Because when we just rely on those things, we're surviving off of someone else's spirituality. We're surviving off someone else's encounters with Jesus in the secret place. Yes, they're meant to stir our affections, to equip our minds, to get us thinking in the right direction, but they are no substitute for the secret place. Another part of this noisy world is that we live in a time where everything is public all the time. You got a cup of coffee, you post it. You got a new job, you post it. You hate your job, you post it. You get in a new relationship, post it. You get out of a relationship, post it, right? Whatever it is, it is always being put out into the world. And we are becoming experts in managing our public image. Think this is not you for a moment. Let's say that's for other people in the room. Have you ever posted a picture where you look bad? You got the double chin the bed head, the spinach, between the, te- the spinach between the teeth, absolutely not, over my dead body, right? And we all have a grandma here who's always posting the unflattering pictures of us on Facebook, and we're trying to remove the tag, right? So we won't be seen in that. We care deeply about our self-image. It is the thing that most of us spend a lot of our time thinking about, from the way that we dress to the way that we act We live underneath the pressure of the public space all the time. And hear this. We've lost the gift of hiddenness. Because everything is being pushed to the public sphere, we've lost the gift of hiddenness. There are even those who make public their secret place. You know who you are. You got the latte, the $7 latte, and you position it ever so perfectly on the thing. The Bible is laid open, the highlighters, the pens, the journal, right? It took you longer to set up the photo than you even spent time reading the thing you're posting about. This is not, this is not to judge you. This is just to say all of your priority is going to the public place, not the private place. Post your photos, but spend more time in the secret place than the public place. Now... As you find yourself living in this world of noise, if you do not get to the secret place, you are in danger of losing your soul. I know what some of you are thinking. Andrew, it's just a season. I hear this all the time. It's just a season. It's just a busy season. It's just a season. And I hear what you're saying. Those words come to yourself as a way to persevere through, but hear me in this a lot of damage can happen in a season. John Tyson says this, you can lose your soul in a season. You can lose your marriage in a season. You can lose your integrity in a season. You can lose everything in a season. I say this with nothing but love in my heart and understanding all the complexities of modern life because I am in them with you. But I hold that intention with the very words of Jesus. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There are those of you who are exchanging productivity, efficiency, public life, in exchange for your soul, and my question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? So where can we go? What can we do? I'm so glad you asked. You get to the secret place. Luke says this. Yet the news spread about him all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In our teaching texts, we find ourselves just thrown into the scene of the life of Jesus. And if we're totally honest, if you came across this passage in your Bible reading, it would probably be like this hey, Jesus, whoop, next chapter, let's get to the healings, let's get to something else happening, right? It seems like a throwaway line, but in this line, Luke is telling us so much. Things are going well for Jesus from an outsider's perspective. I mean, if your day went like you were just healing a bunch of people and killing them of their sicknesses and gathering more people to come here about the word and you're a street preacher, business is good, right? We would say that's pretty much going well. And if you had a PR firm or, or a strategy council, they would come to say, hey, you know, Jesus, we got to maximize this, more content, more Instagram posts, more TikToks, right? we got to put it out there. we got to get the message clear. Let's talk marketing. Let's talk branding. Can we change these sandals, right? They're doing all these things to make Jesus more appealing if you're the PR thing. But what does Jesus do? He goes to lonely places. He is not concerned with maintaining momentum in the movement. He's concerned with the state of his inner life. He withdraws to lonely places and prays. Jesus gets to the secret place. And Jesus often did that. The word for secret place in Greek is the word "eremos." Can you say "eremos"? It literally means wilderness or desert. It's also been translated desert, deserted place, desolate place, solitary place. Lonely place, quiet place, wilderness. Jesus made a rhythm of getting away, hear this, even from things that were good. Healing people's a good thing. Preaching the kingdom of God is a good thing, but he got away from those things to get to the secret place. Even as Jesus got busier, he went to the secret place. Some of your objections already Andrew, but I'm a pretty pretty busy guy. I hear you. You might be even more busy than me. But you're not more busy than the Lord Jesus, right? His job is to bring the kingdom of God on earth. If there's a full plate, it's him, right? Healings, teachings, dealing with his disciples, his plate is full. And as it got fuller, he left the secret place more. John Mark says this, John Mark Comer. You can chart Jesus' life along two access points. The busier he got and more demand and famous Jesus became, the more he withdrew to the, I don't know what that's supposed to say, but to the quiet place, to the secret place to pray. To his quiet place to pray, not quest. I apologize. So if we are to be people who say we follow Jesus, at the very least it means this, we model our lives after Jesus. To follow Jesus means to live the way that he lived. And as we reflect on the life of Jesus, we see that his whole life was marked by the secret place. Before Jesus heals anyone, before he preaches any sermon, before any ministry moment begins, he goes to the secret place. Luke chapter 4 says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan after being baptized and was led by the Spirit Into the Eremos, the secret place, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. All throughout the life of Jesus, we see him sneak away to the secret place. So it's not just as he begins his ministry, but all throughout. Here's just a few examples. Luke 4.42, Luke 6.12, Luke 9.18, Luke 9.28, Luke 11.1. All throughout Luke's gospel, he's pointing time and time and time again, these little moments where Jesus gets away to pray. Where Jesus steps away from the noise and he goes to be alone with the Father. Now, in the final moments of Jesus' life, what does he do? If you knew you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? Right, we're going to the steakhouse, we're going to the amusement, right? We're doing all the things on the bucket list. Jesus goes where? To the secret place. He goes to the garden to pray. And he invites his friends to pray with him. All of Jesus' life is marked by going to the secret place to pray. So what is this secret place? First, it's a place of encounter. The secret place is where we meet with God, just Him and us. There are some of you right now who are searching for God. Let me tell you where He can be found in the secret place. That's where He says He'll be. Think of the words that Jesus says when He's teaching His disciples to pray. He says this, but when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. To say it another way, Dallas Willard says this, The secret place is where God is. The secret place is a place of encounter. Second, it's the place of prayer. The secret place is where we go to open up our lives to God in prayer. Prayer simply being a conversation with God. Mother Teresa says this, prayer is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. It's a place we come to share with God and to meet with him. But it's also the place of transformation. The secret place is contested space. It is the place we go to meet with God, but also the place we go where we can be tested. Henry Nouwen says this, Solitude, going to the secret place, is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered into this Furnace. There he was tempted with three compulsions of the world. First, to be relevant, turn these stones into loaves. Second, to be spectacular, throw yourself down. Third, to be powerful, I will give you all these kingdoms. And there he affirmed God as his only source of his identity. You you must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter the struggle against the compulsions of the false self, and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as substance of the new self. Consider these moments in the life of Jesus, praying and being tempted, and praying in the garden. These were arguably the most difficult times in Jesus's life, but also the most rich and full. It's easy for us, and I've always read that encounter in the wilderness as like the enemy came to Jesus when he was most weak, right? Catch me off a 40-day fast, your boy's not doing so hot, right? In the middle of the desert, not from the comfort of my own home, not doing so hot, right? And so it's easy to look at that situation and say, oh, look, the enemy came to him when he was weak. And from outside perspectives, that is the case, except, except in actuality, It was when Jesus was at his strongest because he was in the secret place. He was getting his substance from the Father. And if the enemy was to attack in that moment, he was so rooted in his identity as the beloved son because he was in the secret place. Again, John Mark says this, the Ramos is not the place of weakness. It's the place of strength. Richard Foster calls the secret place, and this has to be my favorite. He calls the secret place the place of fire and love. The place of fire and love. The frothy charismatics in here are like, let's go, fire and love. So the secret place is marked by both fire and love. Fire and that it purifies. It awakens passion and zeal. And love because there we behold his beauty and we experience peace and security and joy, fire and love. We experience there his presence. Let me say this as clear as I possibly can. We do not go to the secret place to get something from God, you're given a lot there. Believe that. God's generous and he's kind. You don't go to the secret place to get more things from God. You go to the secret place to get more of God. He's the gift. He's the thing that you're actually after. You see, other things might lead you to the secret place. A circumstance, a situation, something you're anxious about, something you're nervous for, whatever it is, that might bring you there. Petitions, asking, requesting might bring you there, but you leave there realizing I already have everything because I have him because I've met with him in this secret place. We say something here at our church, and it's this. His presence does what? Changes everything. Everything is born out of the secret place. And we find there that all our hearts really long for is him. The circumstances and situations and things going on, those will always rage. But if we can meet there with the one who loves us, we can face any obstacle. We can endure any challenge. We can navigate any circumstance when we know we've met with Him. Now, God always meets us in His kindness in the secret place and gives us the things we ask for in our heart often. But getting more of Him is always why we're there. Now, you may be here thinking, how do I get to that place of hunger? Like, Andrew, I'm busy. There's things happening in my life. There's so much happening around. And if I'm totally honest, like I pray and I get about eight words out and I'm two minutes in and it's like everything and that's it and I'm done. And it's like I see people who are hungry after him. How do I get to that place of hunger? It's the secret place. Psalm 63 says this. David says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry, in a parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Listen to this line. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. We read this psalm from David, and we think he's in his palace. He's got his cappuccino. He's in a luxurious robe looking over his kingdom, and he beckons a rider, come. Come. Psalm 63 has come upon me. I need to tell you what it is, right? David wrote this in the wilderness, in the Eremos. His son was seeking his life and seeking his kingdom, and David is fleeing for his life in old age. This is not written with parchment and pen from the luxuries of a palace. It's written in the dirt and in the grit of being on the run in the place of trial. And there, he says, your love is better than life. How do we get to that place of hunger? We get to the secret place. The secret place is also a place of tears. I think of Jesus looking over Jerusalem and weeping. That his heart was so broken about what was going on that his prayer was his tears. When was the last time your prayer was tears? When was the last time your heart was broken over that which grieves God's heart? When was the last time you were moved to a place of emotion for things not concerning yourself but things concerning God's heart and his desires? The secret place is the place that gives us the gift of tears. We pray into with longing and fervency into the kingdom that's coming. The secret place is also the place of security. For those of you whose identity's been under attack, where Jesus found himself rooted was in the secret place. It is there where the Father affirmed his call, his love, his affections for him. It was there that Jesus got clear directions in terms of his sending and his going. It is always in the secret place that we find security. You are spending your life looking for validation and identity and all of these other things, but the Father longs to give it to you in the secret place. It is also the place of peace. Some of you are longing for peace right now. Your world's in turmoil. Your world's in chaos. And the scene that comes to mind is the the scene where Jesus and his disciples are in in the boat out on the sea and a storm is coming. And don't think of this as a nice private yacht. This is a rinky-dinkity boat that can at any moment capsize. And his disciples are like, "Um, excuse me, Lord Jesus, wake up. Why are you sleeping? Don't you realize we're in a Category 5 storm here? And Jesus is asleep. How? Because Jesus had peace in the secret place. And he comes up and says, you have little faith, calms the sea, goes back to bed, right? It's like that simple for Jesus. How do you come to live from that place of peace? What Paul says is the peace that surpasses understanding. That means it doesn't make sense. It's not that you put everything down on a piece of paper, you did your whole chart, pros, cons, we can work this all out, even if this worst comes scenario. We got plan B, plan C. No, it's even when none of the numbers make sense, you have peace. Where do you get it? Josiah is the only one who knows. I said about 75 times. Where do you go to get the peace? The The secret place. That's where it is found. So, the whole message can be summed up in one phrase get to the secret place. Get to the secret place. Some of you resonate with your life feeling out of whack. You're suffering underneath the tyranny of life. You want to recover your life? Get to the secret place. Go meet there with Jesus. The secret place calls for you to come and to recover your life, to tend to your soul. Some of you here have a divided heart. You've been struggling with sin. Your affections are misplaced. And you want to be made whole again. Come to the secret place. There are some of you here who prioritize authenticity, you know? You claim that about yourself. People could say whatever they want about me, but I'm real. All right. You're my people. But you say something like this, Andrew, that sounds nice, but just I don't feel it, dude, you know? I don't feel it. Like, the message was nice, and you got a little emotional, and there were some cool, funny moments. But, like, I didn't feel it, you know? I didn't feel it in here. And if I don't feel it, I'm not going to do it, because I'm a person of authenticity. If you want to get warm, you have to get by the fire. Many of you are looking in on the life that you long for, saying, it would be so nice if I could have that. You look at someone else's passion, devotion, desire, and you say, oh, that would be nice. But I just don't feel it. You feel it as you get by the fire. As you go to the place, then your feelings change. First, it's marked by obedience, and obedience is met with blessing. You go to the secret place, and then God changes your heart. You don't just wake up with passion. That fire is cultivated over time in the secret place. And so you want to feel it? Get by the fire. Go to the secret place and watch him begin to change you. Watch him begin to stir your affections. Watch him begin to give you clarity and perspective and focus like you've never had before. Get to the secret place. There are others you in here that say, Andrew, that sounds nice for everybody else, but not for me. I'm a parent with young kids. There is no such thing as a quiet place, right? All of my life is surrounded by noise. And noise, I don't choose, right? Crying, screaming, laughing, whatever. And to you, I want to offer the story of Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley is the mom of of uh, John and Charles Wesley. Charles, very famous for writing several hymns, and John Wesley, uh, a massive person in the Great Awakening. She had ten kids. She had ten kids. Before there was Disney Plus, she had ten kids. Before there was Dino Nuggets, she had 10 kids. And what she would do is she had an apron, and she would just place the apron over her head, and that was her secret place. There was no closet to escape to, no room down the hall, no latte and comfortable chair. It was inside her apron. And over time, her kids came to realize mom's in her apron. She's in the secret place, right? Just leave mom alone. And it's there in that place where she met with God. The secret place is where God is. Brother Lawrence says that we are to practice the presence of God. He said that he felt the nearness of God, not in a church service, not in a special set of time part for prayer, but as he was washing dishes for the monastery, he felt the delight of God over him. The secret place is only where you open your life up to God and want to meet with him there. And it can be on a commute, it can be in a parking lot, it could be in your driveway, it could be waiting in the Starbucks line for your coffee. The secret place is any place you open your life up to God and say, meet me here. And he does, and he will. And lastly, there are some of you here who hear this and think, this is for somebody else. Like, not me, I can't. Paul says in Romans that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice because this is what is pleasing to the Lord and and right. And so Jesus is not asking you to change yourself and then come to the secret place, like to get better desires than come to the secret place or, or deal with that issue of sin and come to the secret place. He's saying, come as you are. And the invitation for you is just to say, here I am. Mess and all, and watch how the Lord encounters you. Would you join me in standing? We're going to enter into a time of response now. And I have a sense that God is just meeting with some of you today. Something in your being is crying out, For the first time in a long time, maybe, I want to be in the secret place. I want to meet you there, Jesus. And I believe that the invitation from the Spirit for you this morning is to come in an embodied response and say, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want to meet you there. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to you, here's what we're going to ask. I want to ask you just to come forward to this front area and just open up your hands as a way of saying to God, I want more of you. And as you do, brothers and sisters are going to come and lay hands and just pray for you. Pray blessing over that desire. Pray pray blessing over that prayer. And as a community, we're going to sing out that our desire is for Jesus, that our longing is for him, and that our desire is to meet with him in the secret place. And so as the worship team plays, I'm going to invite you to come and to respond to however God is speaking to you today. Come. Holy Spirit, meet us where we are. Here we are, Lord. Meet us here.